Today we start our new series, The Heights and the Depths, a journey through 1 and 2 Chronicles. What does the name Chronicles make you think of? It makes me think of epic stories, you know, like the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lord of the Rings, or Star Wars, maybe even classic fairy tales or superhero stories. And the book of Chronicles does tell an epic story. But it's history. This series is called The Heights and the Depths because Chronicles takes us on a dramatic journey through the history of this small nation of Judah in the ancient Middle East and its profound place in world history. It traces Judah's history from the glorious heights of the mountaintop experiences of their greatest triumphs down to the tragic depths, uh, the, the kind of um, deep pit of the nation's darkest days and their defeat and destruction. Today, we're going to look at the first nine chapters, and it's a long list of names. It's a complicated collection of ancestries, genealogical records, like, uh, I guess you could say, like a big family tree. And if you've read through the Bible, as I encourage everyone to do, it's often sections like this that people find the going gets tough, that people find the most daunting. Let's face it. It's hard to read a long list of names, especially if they're unfamiliar sounding like Hebrew names that are hard to pronounce. And without a storyline, it can feel a lot like hard work with not much gain. And that's probably one of the reasons why Chronicles comes up as one of the number one most un underrated and, I guess, unappreciated and neglected books of the Bible. But I think you'll find, as we go through it, that there is so much gold in this book of Chronicles. Of course there is, because, right, it's God's Word. And these names, even this genealogy, while it's tough to read through, it's really important. These genealogies actually introduce the whole book and the main themes of the book. So as we come to these nine chapters of genealogies, we're not going to read through it all. I just want to ask three questions. Why was Chronicles written? What is the purpose of these genealogies? And how do these genealogies speak to us today? So let's pray as we come to God's word together. Lord God, we thank you for your timeless word and that through it you speak both to ancient Judah and to us today. And we pray that you will give us open ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, firstly, why was Chronicles written? Uh, if you're like most people, on reading through the Bible, you get through 1 and 2 Samuel, 
and then you move on to 1 and 2 Kings, which follows on from the story. And so when you get to 1 and 2 Chronicles, you kind of expect that it's going to be the next installment of history. And you're surprised that it actually goes back to the beginning of 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings, and it traces the same historical period from a different perspective. And it can feel a bit repetitive, like, why is this here? Why am I reading this? And I want to stop you right there because you're actually onto something. In our Protestant Bibles uh, of the Reformation, the Reformers did a great job of getting back to the primary original sources of the Greek and Hebrew texts of Scripture to make sure the Word of God was accurate. But one of the things that didn't change was that we retained the Catholic order. We got rid of the apocryphal books, but our order for the Protestant Bible is still the same. And this is different to the order of the Hebrew Bible. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, there are only three sections. Uh, Our Old Testament is divided up into the law, the prophets, and the writings. And interestingly, Samuel King's, the history there, is under the prophets, the former prophets. But Chronicles is in the writings. In fact, the book of Chronicles is the very last book of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's the final word of the Jewish scriptures. The final word. And if you think about it from that perspective, it makes a lot more sense. When you've come to the end, there's this book reviewing all the history that's happened up until now, everything that's come before. And so it makes a lot more sense to be this final word of the Hebrew Scriptures. The two histories also have very different purposes. Samuel Kings was written to the people of Judah in exile in Babylon to document the corruption of Israel and Judah that led to the tragedy of their destruction and exile. But Chronicles is written to Judah much later when they're back in the land. They've come back from exile. They've rebuilt the walls. They've rebuilt the temple. But their high hopes have not been realized and things are not going well. In fact, they have an identity crisis. They have a crisis of faith, a crisis of hope. Who are they? What are they meant to be doing? Where is God and where are God's great plans? They don't see them happening. Does God still care? Has God given up on them? Is it too late? Chronicles is a book that speaks to their identity crisis by reminding them of their history. To know who they are, they need to know where they've come from. To fulfill their destiny, they need to remember their history. To continue to have hope in a hopeless world. To move forward in faith in a world of anxiety. 
and to adapt to the new and complex and difficult and challenging situations that face them. They need to recapture a right understanding of the past. And most importantly, they need to know who God is and what God is doing in history. And so that's what Chronicles aims to do. On a warm winter's day on the north coast in 2002, I went for a picnic with my girlfriend at the time, Chrissy, to this beautiful grassy knoll overlooking the Pacific Ocean and there were dolphins jumping and on that day at that moment, I got down on one knee and I asked her, will you marry me? And thankfully, she said yes, and we got married. Uh, and if you think about, these are some very special events in my history. But imagine if I forgot that history, or if Chrissy forgot that history. Even now, 18 years later, our priorities, our choices, our everyday lives of us and now our kids, our family, are all based on and tied to those commitments we made back then and our decisions throughout our lives since then, our journey of life we've been on. If we forgot that history, it would mean forgetting who we are it would mean we couldn't go forward into the future. And Chronicles was written to the people of Judah with this crisis of identity, purpose and hope. They're in danger of forgetting their history, forgetting who they are, forgetting where they are going and forgetting their identity and purpose. So that's why Chronicles was written. Secondly, let's ask, what is the purpose of these genealogies? Well, these genealogies form an introduction to the book of Chronicles. By listing all the people, we are reminded of their stories down through history and the, where they fit into the big picture of God's work throughout history. Chronicles shows how Judah... And the struggles of the, the people of Judah are actually not just a result of time and chance and random events and culture and history and politics. Judah's story can only be understood within the grand story of what God is doing in the world and God's plan for the world. Chronicles begins with Adam. It's literally the first word in the book, Adam. And then it just lists name after name. And it finishes down with the end of the exile with King Cyrus' command for the people to go back to their land and rebuild the temple at the end of Second Chronicles. Now, 1 and 2 Chronicles is meant to be read as a whole book. It was just separated because the scroll wasn't long enough to fit it fit it on one scroll so think of it as a whole book the book of chronicles 
And the genealogies trace this same period of history. The genealogies trace the line of the ancestors all the way from Adam down to Anani, the last of the descendants of the great King David coming back from exile. And then pick it up with the people coming back from exile. From Adam to Noah, we're remembered. Adam believed the lie of the serpent. Badness infected the world and spread like a pandemic. The curse on the earth. We remember how despite this tragic curse and despite this evil coming in and taking over us, taking over the world, that God made a promise that one day the descendant of the woman would defeat the serpent and the powers of evil. We remember Noah where God was so upset with humanity. Humanity had become so evil and corrupt that God wiped them out with a giant flood. Creation 2.0 started again with Noah and the family and the promise of the rainbow that God would never again flood the world. Remember from Noah through to Shem and to Abraham, through Shem, and there's, if you look at the genealogies, there's these tangent genealogies, it chases out Japheth chases out Ham and then it follows Shem. It zooms in on the line of Shem. And from Abraham, we remember the promises. God will give him many descendants, even though he had none. God will give him children. God will make him into a great nation and give him a land. And God will bless him and bless all the nations through him. All the nations. And so we remember these promises to God, from God to his people. And from Abraham through Isaac, not Ishmael, through Jacob, Israel, not Esau, Edom. And then from, from Jacob through Judah, and then it traces the line down to the great King David. And from David... We remember God's promise. David, I will build you a house. I will build you a kingdom. Someone will sit on your throne forever. One of David's descendants would reign forever. And it traces the line down from David, down through Solomon, down through the line of kings, the kings of Judah, the good and the bad. And then it traces the line all the way to the exile. When the Babylonians came in, conquered, uh, conquered Judah, where God has said, the nation has got too corrupt and too evil and you have got to go out of the land. But then the line keeps getting traced in this genealogy. David's descendants through all the way to the return back to the promised land after the exile. Here, these genealogies emphasize the line of the promised king, the promised messianic king, the one who would, God would send, who would save God's people. To know who they are, 
to overcome this identity crisis. The people of Judah must hold on to hope in God's saving work. To know who they are to overcome this identity crisis. They must hold on to hope in God's saving work and God's promised king. Another line of genealogies that focuses on another one of the key themes of the book of Chronicles is the line of Levi and the priests. From Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, down through Levi. Levi through Gershon, Kohath and Merari. And it traces out all of their their, um, different roles in, in the priesthood. And then through Aaron, Moses and Miriam to all the priests and the Levites in the worship of God in the temple. And the line of priests from Aaron all the way down to Jehozadak, who was deported to the exile, is traced down. And then the priests and Levites coming back to the promised land. There are even these special genealogies, and I like this, uh, for the musicians Imagine, we love our musicians, we love those people who lead us in singing praise to God, in in worshipping God, it's such an important role. They actually trace down the line of the genealogies of musicians, these sacred people uh, who would lead the community in worship of God and all of these other roles in the worship of God. And there's this whole list of their allotments of land to ensure that they had somewhere to live so that they could serve God in the rebuilt temple. You know, these genealogies about the the priests and the Levites emphasize the centrality of God to the life of Judah. The centrality of God and the worship of God to the life of Judah. And the hope for a new temple where the Spirit of God would dwell once again. To know who they are, Judah must keep worship of God central to their life. Life should revolve around God and worship of Him. And this is the most important thing to their identity because it is how they know who they are and maintain relationship with God. And so the genealogies show us that God is the God of history. And they show us how Judah's struggles and trials are at the heart of God's plans and purposes to save the world. In this story, uh, we see who God is. God is a sovereign ruler over all things. And Andrew Hill writes that the primary purpose of Chronicles is to tell the story of the God of history The chronicler's biography of God shows God as the sovereign ruler, as the creator of everything. Shows God as the providential intervention and and a sustainer of all things. Shows God as uh, the one who has elected Israel. Showed God as the one whose faithfulness never ends. Showed God as the one who is responsible. Uh, responsive to prayer, shows God as the one of justice, shows God as the one of goodness, and shows God as the one of mercy. And this 
introduction to God, this biography of God, if you like, that Chronicles presents us, this presentation of who God is, is the basis of hope. Who is Judah? In their crisis of identity, they can know who they are because of who God is. They can know that while they are fallen, they are still chosen by God. While they make mistakes, they are still loved by God. And God has not given up on them. God still cares. God is still working his purposes out in history. And it's not too late. They can move forward with confidence and faith in God because of God's sovereignty over all of history, because God is the God of history, and He is working His purposes out. And they can look forward in hope to the new king and the new temple. So, thirdly, well, how do these genealogies speak to us today? We are on the other side of the coming of Jesus Christ. The promised Messiah has come in Jesus. In Jesus, we see the fulfillment of God's promises, these genealogies. Jesus is the great King who saves the world. Jesus is the true temple. And in Him, God's presence fully comes to us. In fact, looking back at this genealogy, there's an interesting thing that you notice. When, you probably wouldn't notice this if you're reading it in Hebrew without knowing about Christ. But when you know the history of Christ, and then you look back at this genealogy and the names there, it's like there's a little... You know those Easter eggs that um, animators hide in, in movies? They're like these little things that you watch it through the first time and you don't notice anything. You watch it through and you go, wait a minute. Ooh, that's uh, sneaky. That's tricky. It's like that. Where you read this through a second time and with the knowledge of Jesus and you go, whoa, wow, that's interesting. And I want to share it with you. So the, this, this genealogy, strangely enough, at the, book of, the beginning of Chronicles, it just starts out, list of names. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. Like, no introduction, it just starts out. And you'd be reading this and you think, why, why, why does it start so abruptly? But when you come to these names in Hebrew, and Hebrew names are really significant, they're meant to... Uh, say something of great meaning. But when you put these together, it's really interesting. Adam means man. Seth, appointed. Enosh, mortal. Kenan, dirge, a, a song of sorrow at death. Mahalalel, the blessed God. Jarad, from Yarad, will come down. Enoch, dedicated. Methuselah, his death shall bring Lamech, lament, despairing, Noah, comfort. And so you put these words together and you have man appointed mortal dirge, sorrow at death. 
the blessed God will come down, dedicated. His death shall bring the despairing comfort. You go, wow. That's like the story of Jesus right there, isn't it? Jesus is God come down. Jesus is the one whose death brings the despairing, those without hope, true comfort. We experience in Jesus what Judah could only hope for as a distant future hope and anticipation. We experience the reality of that, the fulfillment of these prophecies, the end goal of these genealogies. The promised king who saves God's people by his death on the cross and his defeat of the evil one. The new temple, and this is fulfilled as Jesus now says, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and us as we meet together as God's people are God's Spirit is with us in a special way. But even though we've received this good news of Jesus, that the angels announced that first Christmas, this God come to us, this fulfillment of those prophecies, we also live in this waiting, this expectation, like the people of Judah did. Because God's work still hasn't been fully completed in the world, has it? We live in the kingdom, God's kingdom has come in Christ, but the kingdom now, but not yet fully here. We experience it, but the final coming of God's kingdom is still to come. And so we also, like them, hold on in hope. We wait. And we know that we have to keep trusting in God. In COVID, we're in this kind of exile, aren't we? There's lots of negative messages, lots of strange things that we have to deal with now. Lots of anxiety, lots of fear. But this message remains the same. In COVID, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember who God is. When we face these challenges, these changes, these disruptions... Because these things of God's purposes through history and what God is doing in his church and in the world are still the same. We need to, like the people of Judah, work to keep worship of God as central to our life. And COVID has disrupted that like probably nothing else in the last hundred years where we see churches splintered, scattered, not being able to worship together. Now, we are planning for the coming back to physical services, obviously with our COVID-safe plan. And I want you to be thinking about that and working towards that with us. Whether we're online or in person, at this strange time in history, Let's not let this spiritual battle go uh, 
the wrong direction and let's make sure we keep worship of God at the centre of our life as individuals and as a community. You know, another thing that I want to bring home in just how does this these genealogies speak to us today is thinking about how we see ourselves. How we see ourselves. There are lots of uh, things that our society will tell us. You're not good enough. That to be cool, to fit in, to be successful, you need to have this, you need to have that, you need to look like this, you need to do that. There are lots of things that will reflect badly on our identity, badly on who we are, where we can take on board those negative messages. But like the people of Judah here, who needed to see themselves the way that God saw them, we also need to be resilient in the face of many different messages and mirrors back to who we are and of our identity and value, to say, no, we see ourselves the way God sees us, of fallen but loved, of uh, sure, not perfect, but having a sure hope and a confidence because we know that God loves us and God has given everything for us, given his son for us to save us. So I want to challenge you that if uh, if you are seeing these negative reflections of yourself, remember to see God, see yourself the way God sees you. When you look in the mirror, when you get up in the morning, say, I'm a child of God. I am loved by God. I am not perfect. I fail. But I am forgiven through Jesus' death. My guilt and my shame, they are taken away. And like uh, J.I. Packer used to um, say, to, to do, um, say, every day is one day nearer. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. Jesus is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. Remind yourself as to who you really are. You know, we only really experience who we really are when we see ourselves the way God sees us, when we overcome our identity crisis and we, we know who we are, we know our identity, we know our purpose because we know God and we've seen ourselves the way God sees us.